0: Welcome to Unexpecting, a podcast brought to you by Chana, the leading fertility support organization for Jewish people in the UK. I'm Dr. Romy Shulman, the clinical lead at Chana.
1: And I'm Shimon Schwab, a psychotherapist at Chana. Over the course of this podcast, we'll be talking to experts, couples, and religious leaders about the multi-layered challenges people face on their fertility journey.
0: We offer practical, emotional, and financial support to those couples on the sometimes complex paths towards parenthood. Head over to ghana.org.uk
1: for more information. Hello, and welcome back to Unexpecting. This episode is about baby loss and is part of Hannah's contribution to the ongoing Baby Loss Awareness Campaign, which has been running for 20 years now. In this episode, Veronique is joined by Julie Stewart and Gemma Gluckman, both of whom are bereavement midwives, and Roxy Blumgart, who's one of Hannah's support work staff.
2: Hello, my name is Dr. Veronique Berman and I am the scientific advisor at Chana and it gives me great pleasure to present to you today the next in our series of Unexpecting Podcasts. Today's um, presentation is actually the first of a two-part presentation to coincide with Baby Loss Awareness Week. And um, I have the pleasure of being joined today by two bereavement midwives and one of our Hana support workers. Uh, so without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Julie Stewart and Gemma Gluckman, as well as Roxy Blumbart And I'm going to ask each of you just to start off by introducing yourselves. Just tell me where you work and what you do. Julie. So my name is Julie
3: Stewart, and I'm the bereavement midwife at Barnet Hospital, which is part of the Royal Free London Trust.
4: Hi, my name's Gemma Gluckman, and I'm the bereavement midwife at Royal Free, um, which is part of the Royal Free London Trust. And my
3: name is Roxy
5: Blungart, and I am a HANA support worker and a counsellor. I'm an integrative counsellor, and I work for HANA and also privately.
2: Thank you so much. So I've had the privilege of working with you both um, and some of your colleagues, specialist bereavement midwives, over the years, because we at HANA support couples who unfortunately have suffered stillbirths and neonatal loss. And we have worked tirelessly to ensure that they are supported um, once they leave your care. But I'd really like to concentrate today on your care, on the care that you give to these couples, on the specific roles that you do. Um, But before we go to that, I thought it might be helpful for our listeners to have an idea of what are your roles? How did you start out? Maybe Julie, you'd like to let us know, how did you start out? How did this come about? So I was a nurse
3: for 20 years because back in the olden days where I came from, you had to be a nurse before you were a midwife. And I also wanted to be a nurse anyway. Um, I had um, my children and when they were old enough, I decided to actually do an additional course to enable myself to become a midwife. Something I'd always wanted to do and felt the time was right. I was a labour ward midwife for many years um, but I knew from the moment I started that I wanted to be a bereavement midwife but I also knew that I wanted to consolidate my learning after qualifying and become confident as a practitioner but then the opportunity came about at Barnet to move into this role and I was very lucky enough to get the job and that was in
2: October 2015 and I have actually been here ever since. Thank you so much. Gemma, we've met more recently. Um, Do you want to tell us how you came to to do what you're doing now?
4: Yeah, so I've been a midwife for 10 years. I'm not from the olden days. (laughs) Um, So I didn't have to be a nurse first. So just a regular midwife on antenatal, postnatal labour ward um, and the day assessment unit. But the past five years, I worked closely with Julie and I was, was a bereavement champion on labour ward. And actually working with Julie inspired me to want to carry, carry on continuing for bereaved families. And then the opportunity here at the Royal Free came up, which I was lucky to get and started at the end of March.
2: So you don't realise, you say the olden times, but you've inspired a lot of people. And, and your work inspires us at Khanna because when we've met you through the work that we've done with various couples, where you've supported them at the time and then we carry on, or maybe we've met them first, and then they come into your care. It brought us to realise what it is that these couples need. That obviously the clinical needs are provided by yourselves and your medical colleagues, but the emotional needs—that's where we're able to work together in collaboration. And we've also been able to develop the services at Hana that we offer, whereby we also work with the different chavurah um, the funeral um, services that the couples may need after the event, and so. We we've been able to bring that together in our community bereavement projects, um, which you've all played a key role in. The services that you mentioned, because you were involved with lots of services before you've come to the bereavement service, is this something that's new? Um, Is this something that um, all hospitals are able to provide? So it's not a new role,
3: um, being a bereavement midwife. Um, Midwives have obviously always looked after, supported and cared for families that have Lost a pregnancy, but this role has definitely developed further over the last sort of decade. But being an actual bereavement
2: midwife has actually been part of the workforce here at the Royal Free London for a significant amount of time. Gemma, is this service available in every hospital, as far as you know? So,
4: unfortunately, we can't confirm about private hospitals, but the majority of NHS hospitals do have a bereavement lead. However, we're lucky here at this trust to have full-time bereaved midwife on each site. Um, and this enables contact for the families throughout. Um, if one of us is away, then the other one will su- will support each other.
2: So it's, a team, it's really a team effort.
3: Yeah, we, we rely on each other yeah. as well, actually, because, you know, we have to look after ourselves so we can actually look after the families. And
2: I know that Gemma's been a great support to me, as was Monica before Gemma came into the post.
4: And vice versa for Julie.
2: Yeah, that's really amazing because, you know, you have to keep each other going to do the work that you're doing, which is so difficult. If somebody found themselves in the situation that they didn't have this service available to them at the time, um, obviously you can't work 24-7, is there any support available for them later on? You know, maybe after they've gone home or what happens in that situation?
3: So if a family has had a pregnancy loss at either Barnet or the Royal Free Hospital, Um, We would know about them. Um, However, if they have delivered elsewhere but live locally to us, we'd be involved postnatally to signpost to any support that might be helpful. We were involved with the bereavement midwife forum. So we have contact details for the majority of the trust nationally. Then we all liaise with each other to ensure
2: continuity of support for families. So it's not just when they're here with you in the hospital or whichever hospital they might find themselves in. Um, It goes far beyond that. Obviously, the nature of your work is very difficult. And you've talked about the importance of the support that you give to each other. And I'm sure your colleagues as well within your department. Can you give um, our listeners something positive that you feel about the work, something, an aspect um, that really puts a positive side to the work as well as obviously the difficulties of dealing with loss?
3: Um, it's a difficult question, isn't it, To considering the situation. But I think something that does help us is that we do see these families at their most vulnerable and tragic times. And they'll often voice to us that they can't see how they'll go on. However, we then see these families at later points, you know, at the follow-up appointment or even just meeting for tests. And you see them in a better place. And that's really due to the support that they've accessed, for example, you know, organisations like yourselves. It's rewarding to hear positive feedback about our colleagues that have cared for them while in the hospital, um, the impact that their kindness and empathy and sensitivity has had on them. Um, they're very special, the families to us. You know, the midwives on the wards, the doctors, the lady that serves the meals, you know, they make a deep connection to all of those that they meet. Um, so, actually, we're, we're very impressed with how they take care of themselves. Um, And obviously all of the organisations like yourselves, as you said.
4: And also if and when they do go on to have further pregnancies, they often get in touch with us. You know, I know a lot get in touch with Julie and since I've started, they have. And, you know, they have that special relationship where they're excited to tell you and, and they, you know they want to tell you straight away and then you you can be there to support them throughout that pregnancy as it can be difficult
2: yeah i mean that's something that we see a lot at hana is for couples you know you hope and pray that they will move forward from their very dark time and go forward and have their rainbow baby that's uh, an expression that we often use i think it's quite widely used yeah. Yeah. Um, for the birth after a loss and those couples really do need an awful lot of support all the way and we're there and knowing that you're there for them as well as obviously the midwifery team that the midwifery team that would be looking after them anyway um is probably a big a big source of comfort to them as well
5: i just want to add to that mm. from the uh, counseling perspective to echo um what julie says about you know we we see these people at their most vulnerable and they have um, been through this tremendous loss um, it is it is very difficult, obviously, and very um, they're very very um, they feel very vulnerable. But as time goes by, um, I've seen that there can be a tremendous amount of resilience that does, with time, come forward, and uh, and that you know what we are trying to sort of have the fine balance of is uh, giving um, a client hope as well, a patient hope. That it's that this was a tragic and terrible loss, and we are not undermining that, but we also are trying to look forward to the future. And as you say, when they come back and they announce another pregnancy, and that can be a very uh, anxiety-provoking thing as well. But there is, you know, that hope and that light, and that we want to help our clients with as well.
2: During your work, you deal with people from all walks of life. Um, How do you navigate through the cultural and religious differences and sensitivities that obviously play a part at a time like this as well? When someone's going through loss, there are maybe more things to think about than on the everyday labour ward.
4: So we actually have a multi-faith chaplaincy available at the Trust. Um, They are very supportive in advising staff about spiritual needs and also they're supportive. They'll come and visit the families if they want that. We try and be open and non-judgmental to everyone, whatever their wishes and views may be. Um, And we're only there to support, you know, what they need at the time and how we can comfort them.
5: We're seeing people... Um, of the Jewish faith but they're coming from all different types and avenues. Some of them are very religiously involved and some of them are not religious at all Um, and I think everyone has their own way of viewing this. There's no right or wrong. Um, I think what's important is that we allow the space for people in a very non-judgmental way to be able to express whatever it is that they're feeling about this loss and a lot of people do turn to religion and a lot of people actually go the opposite and, and, and I feel quite angry but we are open to allowing for however people feel
2: and want to express themselves. We certainly see that at Chana that um, there are times like this where people might have a lot of questions where they want to speak to a rabbi or they have even questions about um, procedural things that are going on and they want to be able to ask the rabbi whether or not they can or can't do things. Um, most of the time people are young and therefore haven't had first-hand experience of loss and don't even know necessarily the rituals that are related to loss. And there are quite a lot of religious rituals and, and therefore they really need a bit of information or guidance. And we have at Chana a rabbinic panel that are very happy to give that advice and information if people request it. Um, Sometimes there are real questions that you yourselves will be asking the couples um, if they want to have postmortems or not, if they want to have testing or not. And for a lot of people, they're nervous or worried from the religious perspective whether or not they can do that. And that's something that we at Hana are well-equipped to help them, to give them the information that they might need so that they can get as much information as possible.
4: Yeah, I've actually, I've noticed that, you know, whatever, however religious you are or not religious, you know, there's no judgment with Hannah and also our chaplaincy here. And um, me and the rabbi here have been doing quite a lot of work with the Jewish Burial Society to help with uh, Jewish families who may be not part of a, a
2: synagogue to have a funeral that they want. And that's really something that we, we work together with um, the different burial societies within the community and um, have a listing that are, is on the departments. And we worked hard to sort of bring everyone together. And they were incredibly willing to sit around the table and compare notes and see how they can all help couples in this difficult situation. And especially for many couples, they joined a synagogue when they got married, And that's it. You know, they never imagined that they would be joining a burial scheme or anything like that. They know nothing about what is needed. And that's where we will be there in the wings to help them to navigate that. And the burial societies, as you say, they have been incredibly supportive and helpful and will try and put in place whatever it is that the couple require, because different families have different requirements and, and how much involvement even um, the families or the couples themselves wish to have um, with the process that the, the burial will take place no matter what, but how much they want to be part of it or not will be what's right for them. And and we at Hana will support them through that, that process. You mentioned, which is a really lovely thing, that people will be in touch with you when they find out that they're pregnant again, and they're they're hoping for that rainbow baby. Do you have any thoughts, or is there anything you want to share about that that going forward stage? So I'd say that um, you
3: know, as Gemma said earlier, it's it's so lovely when you hear from families who are actually expecting another baby. We're not saying that that suddenly is going to fix anything. We recognise that it doesn't. However, it does bring a lot of joy to us as staff, but obviously also the families. Um, We don't have a specific rainbow baby clinic, um, but what happens is when the families get back in touch with us, we can then facilitate like the booking process, make sure they've got that continuity of care and support from the midwife, from the obstetric team. They know that we're always there as additional support. We're not specifically their named midwife, um, but we will always be that point of contact for them because as we all know, the NHS is wonderful can sometimes be a little bit difficult to navigate and we want to make sure that, you know, they're booked in and and they see somebody early on in a pregnancy. Um, So that is definitely a way we're trying to help people to move forward in that area as well.
5: It's very much on a case by case case basis and some people uh, want to move forward very quickly some uh, don't want to move forward at all and and others are somewhere in between that Um, and so you know we're we're very sort of respectful of their process but what I have uh, seen in my work with people who are able to eventually move forward is that we are very aware that there will always be echoes of what happened um, all throughout their pregnancy and that there might be a lot of anxiety uh, connected to the next pregnancy. So we are very much here to work with them through that as well and to really hold their hands and be very, very supportive up until the very, very moment the baby is born and even thereafter because we recognize that that might bring you know, a lot of emotional um feelings a lot of a lot of uh, unexpected feelings um, and sometimes quite powerful feelings of loss and sadness along with the joy and that they can exist sort of in the same place it's quite difficult sometimes for clients to have that but so that's what you know we we find that the rainbow baby is obviously very comforting but can also trigger the loss so we're very aware of how you know to
2: work together and I think part of why we do get so involved in baby loss awareness week is because we recognize wholeheartedly that whatever follows and there isn't always the rainbow baby but whatever does follow that for the couples that have suffered a loss that will always be with them for the rest of their lives and our task is to help them and to support them to manage that the best that they can but this is an important time and space for them as well and uh which is why we're so grateful that you're helping us to do this, um, for them to have, you know, really a better understanding and and more of an insight. We've talked about, obviously, the loss and, and how that impacts on the couple. But I wondered if you could focus for a minute on the male partners in the couple. You know, obviously, there's no physical process that they're going through in the same way that the women who are going through this loss. But it's equal you know they're going through this as a team any thoughts about the male partners so we're here
4: to support the whole family and we we always try and help where we can um our women's health counseling service offers only together counseling they can't unfortunately do it on their own Um, but we can advise other organizations like khana um or um advise them to go and seek their gp
3: We also just give our contact details to the couple. We give phone number, email. And sometimes, you know, I've had situations, you know, where you are contacted by the partner, just where, you know, they're trying to work out their own journey and and how to to work through it. So then they'll specifically come back to us and then we can signpost them.
4: And also uh, many women say, you know, my husband or partner is struggling. Could you... Talk to them, and so then we will call them and yeah. try and have that conversation with them and encourage them to seek some additional support yeah
2: because we have male therapists as well as part of our team at HANA, and so what we find is that we have therapists that will see individuals, male or female, and then others who see couples and uh, so you know it 's a very important part of our offering because we recognize that. For males, very often it's a lot easier to see a male therapist, and they don't always want to come as a couple because their experience of even the same process will be different. Even if they're going through the same thing, they won't necessarily go through it in the same way. And um, so, you know, it's it's really very very important to be able to be able to offer that.
5: And I think maybe just to add to that is also to say that um, very often um, for the partner who's uh, witnessing but not going through, um, they are there often very much expected then to support their partners, and um, there there isn't often enough support coming in for them um, expected to be in the, let's call it, quote-unquote, strong role, um, having not actually been through the physical delivery. Um, so I think that it's very important to let people know that there is a support for – people
3: who need support we can be very much focused on the woman you know the woman is going through that that physical process of having her baby um or their baby but for us even simple things like when we're signing some of the documentation that might need to be signed it's important that you know they're both offered to sign that documentation it's about their baby to involve them at every single stage um you know simple things like you know when we give lunch dinner to a couple it to a lady we also offer it to birth partners you know they're they're both going through this
4: and also to just give them time to sort of talk to you and and listen to them because you know they've seen it on the other side if if their partner's in pain or if anything happens that actually
2: it can be quite distressing to see that so you mentioned um you're serving lunch dinner whatever it is we're actually sitting here in the Royal Free Hospital, in a very specific space. Now, obviously, our listeners can't see that space, but it might be helpful if you're able to describe for them what this space actually is, because it's not your office. We're actually in the hospital itself. Are you able to describe what this space is?
3: So we have, obviously, we are on Labour Ward, but this room here at the Royal Free is called the Serenity Suite. It is specifically being designed to care for families that are having a loss. Um, It's been designed, you know, by getting advice from families that have had a loss and you've got a different space where you can sit. You know, there's a sofa, there's a table where you could even just sit and have your meal, there's a television. There is obviously the clinical side of things in here that are needed. but um, We've also tried to incorporate things like there's a pull-out double bed for the couple. The sofa pulls out to a sofa bed in case they've got other family members that might want to stay and be with them throughout. Um, there's an ensuite facilities. It's decorated very differently from the other rooms, um, trying to make it sort of a soft, comfortable space
4: for families at a very difficult time. It's also where it's placed near... The exit so you don't have to walk through yeah. the busyness of labour.
2: That's really important. And it really is looking around the room. A lot of thought has gone into making it comfortable and it feels like a very safe environment where um, it's peaceful. There's privacy, you know, just even this en suite facilities, but the way the door and the curtains around the door and all those sorts of things, it doesn't feel if you'll forgive the expression, very hospital-like, it feels much more comfortable and safe. Um, and that's a really important part of what you are delivering to the couples is that environment of care and not just medical care, but the sensitivity of the care that you're delivering.
3: We have um, like a similar space over at Barnet Hospital. Um, we've made significant changes to two of the rooms over there. We refer to our our room there as the Butterfly Room, Um, and because of generosity through families, through family members, through friends, um, and working with the the charity at the Royal Free London Trust, um, we've been able to make those changes, and um, I think it does help, if anything can help, but... It's helpful that they do have a slightly nicer environment to be in, and we always ask for feedback and and ask families what could maybe make it a little bit better, and try to make those changes
2: as time goes on. Well, it's obviously been taken into consideration, and and you know where charitable donations help to make that little bit better. Yeah. Can I ask you, um, Gemma, how does this come about? You know, in a hospital, that to have these facilities, is it the hospital that's provided? these facilities or?
4: So the charity has very kindly donated money so we could uh, make this room um, and from families and friends who
2: have given to the Royal Free London charity. So even in people's darkest times, they're thinking about other people. It's it's quite heartwarming as well. Yeah. So talking about the families and I'm really going to direct this question probably to Roxy first and, and then to yourselves that for the family members not the immediate couple who have gone through the loss, but for the family members, and I imagine you probably both see them as well, but for the family members that are supporting, or maybe it's a friend or a colleague, do you have any advice on how they can do that? Because these are extremely difficult times.
5: I think really it's about um, tuning in to the couple and just seeing what their needs are without making any assumptions um, I think it's a natural tendency for people to want to make things better or smooth things over, um, but that can very often feel to the couple experiencing this like it's undermining the pain um, or sort of a way of trying to deny the reality of the experience. So I think um, the best thing that a family member or a friend can do is really just to listen, um, to pay attention to what the couple might be going through and um to to just just their physical presence and their listening presence in and of itself is is hugely supportive and if then that couple are, are asking for advice moving forward or whatever then of course it can be given but i don't think one should ever uh sort of um offer the well meaning advice without um, the, the couple themselves coming forward and asking for it because, as I say, that can very much, you know, one doesn't know when where one's comment can land. Um, and that might have been helpful for somebody else, but it might not be helpful for this particular individual.
4: Yeah, I think, like Roxy said, you know, there's no wrong or right way to do it. It's very individualised. And actually it's OK to for the family members or friends to ask the couple, what would you like, you know, to not shy away from asking the question because they think it may upset them. I think most families I've seen would rather have someone ask them what they need and what they want than to not ask.
3: Yeah, acknowledge what's happened, um, but then sort of do it in an open way that if they feel that they want to talk further about their baby, their experience, they can, but also they're not put under any pressure because it just might not be the right time for them to talk about their baby at that moment
2: going forward once they've left your care and they've been home for whatever period of time it is um they're going to want to go back to their previous workplace back to their social life back to whatever it is that they were doing before they went through this terribly difficult horrible experience um roxy any ideas any suggestions on on how people actually do that
5: Um, From what I've seen, again, it's very individualistic, um, but I think a lot of people uh, do want to be able to re-engage with their past lives Uh, at some point. uh, They want to go back to work. They want to re-engage socially, although the social aspect can be sometimes tricky uh, because some of their friends might be pregnant or have had babies around the same time as the loss. Uh, So that needs to be navigated carefully. Um, But I think a a lot of people really like the idea that they can go back to work and that their life does feel like, although they are living with the sadness, life does continue and it's not uh, going to overwhelm them for the rest of their lives, that they will still be sad, but they will be able to carry on and go back to um, their jobs and uh, their hobbies and whatever it is that keeps them going and gives them meaning
3: really. Yeah, I think the, the going back to work thing is, is very difficult. Um, you know, depending on the stage in the pregnancy that, that you were at would very much depend about sometimes the time off that you would be, the wrong word, but allowed to have. Um, so obviously if, if you've sort of over a certain stage, then you could actually access the maternity leave and have quite a significant amount of time off. Um, for other families, it, it might not be such a, a large amount of time off. And going back into that office is hard. Um, I know that a lot of um, women and obviously their partners as well, that by just maybe doing sort of a starting on a Friday or on a Thursday or something, and then going back to work and not having the whole week ahead of them, just having like one day and then saying, okay, I'm going to come back on Monday, because that first day where you see everybody is really hard. But actually being almost like quite practical about it, I know I'm going to go today, but then I know I've got a few days off, I'm going to get myself, you know, a little bit stronger, and then I will go back next week. And if you can, to go back gradually. But yeah, easy, some yeah. people don't have that luxury, I yeah. realise, but if you can, then it's good. And and I do think that employers will try to do whatever they can. Yeah, for sure, easing in, uh, not not jumping right in, but just going in
5: at, at the pace that, of course, the employer will allow. But as you say, most are very empathic and understanding and allow for people to gradually ease
2: back into work and of course the support that the couples will have from Hana continues for as long as the couples need or they feel that they need that that support Um, and as you say they still have the possibility of staying in touch with you which um, I'm sure is is a great comfort Um, I notice you're wearing, of course, again, our listeners can't see that, but you've got a pin and you've got a matching pin. Um, And this pin that uh, people are wearing, um, we all see that a lot during Baby Loss Awareness Week. Um, And that's really just drawing attention to the fact that we are all very much aware. Of course, you are in your day-to-day work, but we are so grateful that we are able to work closely with you. You're there at the moment that the couples need them but we're there in the background to support them emotionally and then going forward. So we are really, really grateful that you've agreed to do this with us. Um, our couples, I'm sure, will benefit enormously. And uh, thank you very, very much. Any parting comments or anything you want to add that, wasn't, that I hadn't asked you about, anything that you're thinking about, if anybody's listening to this, whether they've maybe suffered a loss recently or even in the distant past?
3: I think just know that, you know, if you feel you can, access that support, reach out to somebody um, because we're all there really to support each other, aren't we, at this time?
2: Thank you very, very much. Thank you.
1: We hope you found this episode informative. If you found yourself affected in any way by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please do contact us on our helpline on 0208 201 5774 or by emailing support at hana.org.uk.
0: Thank you for listening to Unexpecting, brought to you by Chana. If you are struggling on your fertility journey, head over to hannah.org.uk and get in touch with one of our experts or call the helpline on 0208 201 5774. With Hannah, you are not alone.
1: If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe, rate, review and share on social media. We really hope you'll join us again soon.